following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. Uh, just a reminder, after service, the kids will be gathering downstairs um, in the kids' room uh, for a little time together. Um, so... If you're a kid, we invite you there and define kid however you want. So uh, everyone is welcome to join us there. Um, so turn with me in your Bibles now to l- l- the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, today we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 16, and that's on page 862 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, The passage that we're going to look at this morning is, I think, one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture, Um, but only if you stop and think about it um, for a minute. On the surface, it might seem to be just uh, just the facts um, and even maybe just another uh, another of the Bible's lists of names, Um, and it is that. But uh, I think we should take some time to appreciate it for, uh, for what it is beyond that. And instead of just letting our eyes roll over it uh, in order to get through the book and say that we've read it all, um, let's uh, stop and consider what the Lord is saying and what that might possibly mean to us uh, as we apply the principles that the Lord has given us here. So let's look at it together and then we'll pray. Luke 6, starting at verse 12. Speaking of Jesus here. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for our time together this morning as a family. We thank you for your word. We ask now, Lord, that your spirit would speak that your word would come alive to us, that the principles that you have included here um, would be real to us, and you would help us apply those, those principles so that we could be more like Jesus and that we would um, truly be uh, the church, your glorious bride without spot or blemish. We thank you, Lord, uh, for this word And again, we ask for you to move among us today. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, quick quiz. What was the main topic of the sermon last Sunday? What? Uh, Well, we talked about the Sabbath, and the guy guy with the withered hand was healed on the Sabbath. We talked about Sabbath and Sabbath rest. 
Now, how does that relate to the first thing we see Jesus doing in this short passage that we read? Sabbath rest. Jesus goes to a solitary place, to the mountain, and prayed all night to God. This, this is Jesus, the Son, one with the Father, one with the Spirit, spending the night in communion with them in prayer. And so how does that relate to Sabbath rest? This is Jesus' definition of Sabbath rest at work. Did it have anything to do with sleep? No. Jesus finds rest in communion with God. He finds rest that the earth simply cannot give. No amount of laying around doing nothing nor sleeping can give the kind of rest that the Father can give through communion with him. That's a principle for us to learn. This is the wisdom of Christ, and he offers this example to us. We have trained ourselves, if we're honest, we have trained ourselves to constantly and consistently crave entertainment. Spending half an hour in prayer is difficult, if not impossible for us. And here, Jesus offers the way to the rest we truly crave and we desperately need. Unplug, find a quiet place, and pray. Now, that was the principle at work in Jesus' example. But what was it that Jesus was praying for? This is a specific time and a specific prayer what was it that he was praying for? Well, we don't, we don't know exactly. We can speculate. If we consider the question in the context in which it's given, I think it's pretty safe to assume that Jesus' prayer had something to do with the calling of the apostles. I think there's some things we know about Jesus that can eliminate some of the things he might have been praying for. Who is it, Lord? Who is it, Father, that you want to be an apostle? I think he knew. I think he knew that already. Jesus already knew who it was, and he already knew what he would be calling these men to. He already knew what they would need in order to fulfill that calling. I think we can get a sense of what Jesus may have prayed for if we Fast forward three years or so uh, and take a look at Jesus' prayer for these same men, these same apostles, as recorded in John chapter 17, verses 6 through 11. Here's Jesus' prayer for the twelve. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. 
I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Up until that morning, the twelve, they were just disciples, like all of the others that were following Jesus. But on this day, he called them apostles. So what's the difference between a disciple and an apostle? Up till this point in our study, I have tried to only refer to them as disciples or the disciples, um, because up until this point in our study in Luke, that's what they were. They're, they're disciples. A disciple is a follower, a learner, a pupil, a student. But an apostle is something very different. An apostle is one who is sent by another, a messenger or an envoy. And that's exactly the work that Jesus called these men to. He didn't send them out immediately, but he taught them and trained them for this work of being his witnesses and preaching his gospel to the world. And even three years of training and watching and listening to Jesus himself wasn't enough. They needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to do the work that Jesus called them. That's a point that shouldn't be forgotten. No amount of teaching and training and equipping and even time with Jesus was enough. They still needed the Holy Spirit. If you've read through the Gospels before, after Jesus is crucified, the apostles get together and do a very spiritual thing, right? Jesus, in their mind, is now gone because they've forgotten that he said he was coming back. And instead of gathering and and praying, and worshiping, and fasting, they went fishing, because that's all they knew how to do. Three years of listening to Jesus, three years of seeing him minister, three years of being trained, and then he dies, and they don't know what to do, so they go fishing. They go back to what they knew before. They still needed the Holy Spirit. Now, apply that principle to you. Apply that to me. How often do we think that we can just get by and do what we know to do without the help of the Holy Spirit and expect things to go smoothly? <laughs> I'll tell you this story again. I probably told it all to you at least once before. My friend Greg Frazier that passed away a few weeks ago was friends with my grandfather. I've known him since, I guess, He's known me longer than I've known him, I suppose. And he and Grampy got together one day to work on Grampy's pickup. He had, an, he had an old international harvester pickup that I would, I would probably murder to get that truck. Um, if there's any volunteers, just, I mean, whatever. Anyway, so... <laughs> So Greg and Grampy are, are working on the truck, and they're trying to replace a fender well 
because the international harvesters rust in Maine uh, through living through Maine winters and with no Z-Bart or undercoating or ever hearing of any of that stuff before. They're trying to replace the fender well, and they just couldn't get it to go in. And they fought and they fought and they fought to get this fender well to go in so they could weld it up and get the truck back on the road. Now, my um, the story goes back uh, just a little bit further. Um, Greg, uh, Greg was a man's man. He's like one of the manliest men the world has ever seen. And when I was a kid, he was just larger than life, big, loud, booming voice, and big, thick mustache, dark, dark hair. I always thought he was uh, Bluto from Popeye. Um, just, um, and he, he didn't think that you could be um, a Christian and a man. That being a Christian was for, for ladies and for wimps, but not for men, until he met my grampy. And he said, if you can, if you can be a Christian, if a, guy, if a man like you can be a Christian, then I can be a Christian. Uh, and I love that story. Um, so, grampy and Greg are fighting to get this fender well into the International Harvester, and it will not go. And as the story goes, and this is, Greg told me this story um, years ago. Grampy says, wait a minute, this isn't working, and it's not going to work, because we didn't pray about this. And they stopped, and they prayed, and they asked the Lord's blessing on their project. Help us get this done. In Jesus' name, amen. Whammo. Goes right in. No problem. Right. Um, The rest of the truck slowly rotted away to nothing, but... The Lord's blessing was on that fender well. (laughs) And that's the point. How often do we just go through life kicking the can down the road without asking the Lord's blessing or help on what we're doing? Because we just assume it. Now, I know this is just me, and you're here listening to the sermon to me. Um, Let's not, can we just stop doing that? Let's just stop doing that, okay? Let's, let's just stop not inviting Jesus on our journey. Let's stop not including the Lord in what it is that we're doing and just assume that we're either going to have his blessing or everything is going to go the way that we want because we're wrong on both counts. How, how much difficulty would we be saved um, if we would just pray and ask the Lord to guide us? Uh, I didn't have that on the notes, so. Um, all right. So, the apostles, right? We're t- the Bible, let's look. Um, the apostles, the work of the apostles. It was the work of the apostles and the prophets to be the foundation of the church, according to Ephesians 2.20. And they, along with the apostle Paul, th- these 12 men, some of them, wrote the New Testament, the actual foundation of the church that we're, that we're built on, right? Um, and there's, there are some other apostles that were added, and some people write apostles with a capital A, and other apostles get a lowercase a, but I know, right? It's boring. So um, <laughs> that's a discussion for another day. I'll speed it up. 
So <laughs> we'll just skim over the rest. All right. So who are these 12 men? Who are the 12 that Jesus called out of the crowd of disciples? Now, you've heard some of these names before in our study of the Gospel of Luke. Um, Simon, who Jesus named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. I don't know how your math is. That's 12. Um, but if you read other gospel accounts, those names aren't all the same. Mm-hmm. Tricky. The list of 12 in Mark is different. Um, Don't worry. (laughs) It's not a contradiction. As we've already seen in our study, and the most famous example of it is here in our text, people often had more than one name um, or a nickname. And some of those are recorded here in Scripture. The first, of course, is Peter. Peter's given name was Simon. And it was Jesus that named him Peter as a nickname. Uh, Peter's not his middle name. Um, His name is Simon. And Peter, of course, we know means rock or stone. But he isn't the only one on this list with two names. Uh, Bartholomew is also known as Nathaniel. Um, Matthew, we talked about that a few weeks ago, was Levi. And Judas, the son of James, is also known as Thaddeus, probably because he didn't want to be confused with the other Judas. Um, He's also considered by some scholars to be Jude, who wrote the epistle of Jude. And as we look at this cast of characters, it's important to remember exactly how they got to be apostles. Now, these men were not the cream that rose to the top of the wider group of disciples with such obvious skill and wisdom and charisma and reputation. It's no wonder that Jesus chose them. And I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. That's not how it works. That's not how it works in the church. Um, these guys took all the leadership classes and went to seminary, and so therefore were qualified to do the work of the ministry. Um, no, not even close. I don't think their skill set or their work experience had anything to do with it. We talked about it when we were talking about Matthew, when Jesus called Matthew to follow him. Matthew was a tax collector, good with money, right? So good, he had a big house and lots of tax collecting friends. Was Matthew the one that was in charge of the money bag that collected all the donations and was the treasurer of the group? No, he wasn't. I don't know why, it just wasn't his job. I think if we look a little closer at some of these men, we might start to wonder just exactly what kind of team it is that Jesus is building. Why these 12? So let's start with the example we talked about recently in our study. Matthew, Levi, right? Um, He's a tax collector a Jewish man collecting taxes for the Roman government, the Roman oppressors, not, not everybody's favorite people. Matthew was considered by his countrymen to be a traitor to the, to the nation of Israel. 
Now let's contrast Matthew with another guy on this list, Simon the Zealot. You know anything about Simon the Zealot? He was a zealot. Well, that's important to know. What's it, what does that mean? Do you know what a zealot was? He certainly didn't believe in taxes. Yeah. This is not... Um, some people like to keep the New Testament a little cleaner than it really is, a little neater. And they say that Simon was a religious zealot. He's very zealous for God. Well, I'm sure that's true. I mean, he's following Jesus around. He's got to have a certain amount of zeal. Hmm. Um, no. That isn't what a first century zealot is. Maybe that's what a 21st century zealot would be. Um, but that's not what a first century zealot was. Simon's nickname was Zelotes, right? Which most likely means that he belonged to a group of fanatical Jewish patriots known as the Zealots. The Zealots, right? Their purpose was to deliver Israel from the tyranny of Rome. They used every means at hand, including terror and assassination to accomplish their purposes. Uh, if you ever do any study of the Holy Lands, you can see the city of Masada, which was the Zealots' um, headquarters. And it was built way up on this uh, um, mountain, uh, this uh, plateau of the city. There was no way to get to it. Um, and the Romans built a siege ramp. And by the time they got to the top of the um, the top of the ramp to take the city, the zealots all killed themselves so that the Romans wouldn't kill them. All right. So like a little bit un, un, unhinged, passionate. Yeah, passion. That's polite, right? Um, lots of zeal, certainly lots of zeal against the Romans. They hated the Romans. So does it make a lot of practical sense that Jesus would include these two guys together on the team? Let's partner them up when we send them out to preach the gospel, right? A traitor to Israel and a political nut job. A Roman sympathizer and a fanatical Jewish patriot. Talk about not being able to have a polite discussion about politics. But that's not the only contrast. Think about the contrast between Peter and Judas Iscariot. Incidentally, Iscariot wasn't Judas's last name either. Um, Iscariot is Greek, Iscarioth, um, which is Greek for from Karioth, believe it or not. It's a town in southern Judah. That's where Judas was from. Judas from Kerioth, right? Ben from Tamworth, right? Like It works like that, right? South Tamworth, excuse me. I know. I know. There are distinctions to be made here. Think about Judas as a person. Judas had all the qualifications. Judas is well-connected. He's good with money, a natural leader. Should have been our guy. Like, should have been the first of the list. You'll notice he's at the end of the list, right? And the, the way that the apostles are listed is in order of rank, 
honestly. Um, Peter is always named first in every list of the apostles. So if you contrast him with Peter, what do we know about him? Well, he's a brash, emotional, loudmouth, always ready for a fight, never thinking things through, always shooting off at the mouth. And he's consistently named first among the apostles, and Judas is always named last. And here in Luke, he's named a traitor. So um, what's so encouraging about this text? I still think it is among the most encouraging um, texts in Scripture. And I I know that you're already feeling really pumped up about it. Years ago, I served an internship in the youth program of the church that I grew up in. Um, And my youth pastor had a note taped to the front of his Apple IIe, which for you kids was a computer. Um, Green screen, you know, all the letters were green. Um, Anyway, he had this... (laughs) Who gets, (laughs) like, sentimental about a computer. Anyway, he had this, um, he had this um, note that simply said, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Uh, you've obviously heard that before. Jesus certainly didn't call the most qualified, but he taught and he trained and he filled and thus qualified these men whom he called. John Calvin wrote, The apostleship was not bestowed on account of any human merits, but by the free mercy of God. Persons who were altogether unworthy of it were raised to that high rank. The apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which has been given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Why I find this passage so encouraging is that by the same free mercy of God that Jesus called these men out of the crowd, he also calls me and he calls you to be his witnesses, to preach his gospel to every creature. And the same resources are available to us that were to these men. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have all we need to be equipped to do the work that we have been called to do, each one of us. I'll close with a passage from Acts chapter 4, from years later after Peter and John healed a crippled man in the name of Jesus. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes 
scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, who were all of the high priestly family. And when they had set Peter and John in the midst, they inquired, by what power or what name did you do this, healing the crippled man? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has now become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which, by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and recognized that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. unschooled, ordinary men, but people could tell that they had been with Jesus. May that be true of us too. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, you have given us every opportunity in the world to serve you to grow in you. You've given us all the resources that we could ever need through your word, through the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would furnish the willingness to serve you, the willingness to step out of our comfort zone, the willingness to speak. Lord, help us to invite you on every car ride, on every walk, every trip to work, every, every day. Father, may, may we never forget your promise to always be with us and never forsake us. But don't let us assume that. Father, help us to, help us to always be cognizant of your presence with us and to include you in our plans. Father, we thank you for this encouragement from Scripture that if you could call these men to serve you, you could certainly call us. If you could use them, you can use us. Lord, help us to be willing like they were to give their lives in service to the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.